Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking to a gentleman that has generated hundreds of millions of dollars, became an amazing author, an amazing husband. So we're going to talk about being successful from the boardroom to the bedroom. So guys, you're definitely going to watch and check, listen to this episode. I want to thank our sponsors. Our sponsors are today Operation Veteran Freedom. They're, they're an organization that I'm a part of. They actually help veterans that are getting out of the military, help them transition and maybe start their own business, maybe get into digital. Um, but we help you transition out of the military and get you into doing something that you really love and have a passion for. And the last sponsor is me. My, our, I just came out with a brand new coffee called Vertical Momentum. It's high energy coffee. It's like that old army crap we used to drink, but it's only one cup of coffee. So you don't need four or five cups and it tastes amazing. The best thing about this, um, this product right here, 100% of the proceeds go to help veterans that are struggling with homelessness and mental health issues. So I don't make any money off of it. So if you guys would like to pick it up, you can, you can guys go to um, the scroll beneath veterans. Um, vet, vet, vertical momentum podcast.com and order yours and you can even have it delivered right to your doorstep every month and like i said it's not only keeping you energized it's also keeping a food a, a roof and food in a veteran's stomach so just want to say thank you guys guys this is gonna be fun i'm, I'm really look, looking forward to talking to my friend tony we got the chance to talk we have a lot in common he's a man of faith uh, we both love sports so I'm just so blessed and honored to have him come on. Tony, what's up, brother? Hey, Richard. Good to talk to you. Thanks for letting me come on your show. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, man. And, and you know, especially knowing that you're, you're a veteran, that even makes it even more fun because, you know, I love to support my, my veterans. So where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And what kind of little boy was Tony? I grew up in Chicago, south side of Chicago. And that was 50 years ago. I'll be 51 this year. And as you and I talked, diehard White Sox Chicago fan. <laughs> My sister was a Cubs fan, but we'll forgive her. She's okay. And then, of course, the Bears, 85 Bears, best team ever, I think. So grew up in Chicago, went to public school and Catholic school throughout that, that time frame. Went to a very uh, good high school, Mount Carmel High School. Very good sports team. A lot of yeah. great athletes came out of Mount Carmel. Yeah. And while I was there, my junior year of high school, I went to basic training, something called split training. So between June of, 2000, of 1988, I think it was, I was heading out to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, for basic training. All right. So I, I want to hop back real quick. Um because I love everybody's recruiting story. So what was your recruiting story when you walked into the recruiter or, or when they came to the schools? And what was that like? And why did you pick the job that you chose? Great question. And, and you're right. Everybody has a story. The thing I remember is I had cousins who, as a matter of fact, every cousin that I can remember served in the military and i had two cousins who were in the army at that time at cousins who were in the navy but my two army cousins one of them was in supply and one was a meteorologist and uh the one that was in supply he 
we worked at uh, he was in an ROTC program. So he was sending me TA-50 and rucksacks and everything. So I had a bunch of gear. I actually proactively went to a recruiter. The office was on the way from my high school home. So when I would drive down the street in Chicago, saw the recruiting office, my eyes lit up. I drove in, spent a, a while talking to him. And I told him, hey, I want to join infantry, infantry. The interesting thing is everybody has a story about how they want to kill their recruiter when they get to basic training. And my recruiter, I wanted to join infantry. He was an Army Reserve recruiter. One desk away from him was the Army National Guard recruiter who had infantry slots. My recruiter told me there was no infantry in the reserve, which he was correct. He could have pointed me to the his guy next door, right next to him, but he didn't. Everybody's trying to fill a quota. But I actually talked to the recruiter. He eventually met my parents because I was still under 18 at that point. We got together. He came to meet my family, my mom and dad. They were very supportive. They had no clue who wanted to join the military, but they were very supportive. They let me join, had to get their permission. And junior year, I was off. I was left from MEPS, Military Enlistment Processing Station. And I was on a, on a plane, then on a bus. And then next thing you know, I was in the cattle trucks back in the day. And that was the experience of a lifetime. It was excellent, though. So let me ask, because, you know, when I joined, I was 17. I was a skinny white kid from New Jersey with a smart mouth. And uh, I, I, I went to basic training with long blonde hair, earrings. So they loved me when I got there. Uh, but it was a big eye opener because, you know, here I am, you know, from the streets and using words I should never use. And I, I got cured of racism in 1986. And I wrote about that in my book. But what was it like, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you, you come from, the, you know, Chicago. South Side is not exactly the nicest place. And then, you're, you know, you're going to go, you meet a whole bunch of people from all around the world. And, and you know, I love my country people because there's a difference between strong and country strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what was that like, you know, because you're still a kid, you're still in high school, but now here you are with men at the same time. So what was that dichotomy like? Uh, you nailed it. It was, uh, it was, you know, I, fortunately my parents immersed us in sports and my high school was predominantly the white high school was 90% white. All right. And a lot of those guys I grew up playing baseball with. So when I got to basic, I was used to diversity. I mean, you know, my mom is Puerto Rican. My dad is black. So I've been around diversity my whole life. The interesting thing was the shocking factor was when I met people, I think a couple of guys, I love them to death, really cool guys. They were from West Virginia, never seen a black person in life, just on TV. And they had a bunch of questions. They were just curious. But, you know, our unit, our company was great. The diversity was cool. I don't ever remember anybody getting into a fight. Of course, you know, the first couple of days when you go through amnesty, everybody is is looking a certain way. And like you said, long hair, earrings, everything else. But it was great. I mean, it was, you know, I met people I probably would have never met before. And the interesting thing is, at that point, most of the people in my basic training class were from rural America. I was from the city. There was one other guy in our company who had, I think, one year of college. 
and they wore him out. He thought he knew everything. The, the, the drill instructors wore him out. It was hilarious. And the rest right, of us. So then I got a question because, like, when I went through, I did, it was called OSIT back then. It was one station unit training where I went through basic and AIT all together in one. So, what was it like, you know, because you said you had split training. What was it like you left, not to say a boy, you know, but I'm saying, you know, you, you came back a different person. So what was that like coming back to school and you're a totally different person? You're a man. You've shot some serious stuff. You've had some fun and learned a lot of stuff. So what was that like coming back and sitting back in those desks again? It was the weirdest feeling on earth. I remember uh, I, I was telling the story and I think I put it in my book where I was home and it was about a day after I got back and everyone was sitting around in the house. I couldn't figure that out. I'm like, what are you all doing just sitting around? My dad said, hey, I got to go run up to the store right quick to get, he was going to get something. I said, I'll run up, no problem. I got to leave the house. And he said, well, don't you need the car keys? I said, no, I'm going to run to the store. And I ran up, it was probably three miles away. <laughs> I literally ran to the store, got whatever it was and and ran back. And it was, a, it, there was a period of, of having to adjust I remember people with the hands in the pockets, which, of course, we're taught not to do, taking your hat off every time you came into a building and seeing people sit around not doing anything was just the strangest thing for me to get back to. And, you know, the hardest, like one of the things like I can't even eat with a baseball cap on. Even if I'm outside at a barbecue, I still have to take it off. You know, yeah, yeah. I, my cousin and I, he was he he uh, retired from the Navy. If he and I sit down with our wives, my wife, and then his wife, who was in the Navy as well, his name is Chris, we will literally be done with our food in maybe a minute or two. They'll still be eating 30 minutes later. And me and him are, we don't understand that. It's like it does not take you that long to eat. And they don't understand that, you know, we had, you get to chow hall. And you were in and out probably within two minutes after you got to the front of that line. You were out. You know, you you eat your food and you chew it later is what we were taught. So I had to get you. Even now, my closet, my shirts are still lined up and my clothes are still lined up on hangers, two finger widths apart and they're color coordinated. I roll my socks the same way I rolled them in basic training. And that was in 88. I mean, so some of these things you do, you become a man and you never forget what you learned. So it's absolutely amazing. Now, how many years did you put in? I was there four years. Okay, I, went yeah, the, I enlisted in the reserves when I got to college, which was about a year and a half after that. I actually was able to uh, change and go to the guards. I was sworn into a guard unit, infantry unit, which is what I wanted all along. And that was up in in. Um, Woodstock, Illinois. So we did our our annual training up in Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, flying on the old Hueys. It was just a great time. Now, what what college did you go to? Southern Illinois University down in Illinois. Okay. So now, uh, you know, you put four years in. You know, a lot of people say, well, I just put four years in. That's BS. You raised your hand uh, because a lot of people don't realize that when you signed that dotted line, you were saying to the military, I'm willing to die. And you also, like for me, I know I had to have a power of attorney. 
And when you're a young man and you realize, wait a minute, I just signed my power of attorney. Um, I'm, I could die. I could not come home. I could be you know, deployed anywhere in the world. Your mindset changes because you're mm-hmm. no longer a boy anymore. Yeah. So, but now after being in a couple of years, um, you know, we're supposed to be all hardcore and hoo hoo, you know, but we get used to getting paid on the first and the 15th. We get used to getting TRICARE. Um, and then when we get out, we lose our job. Um, we lose the camaraderie. And then we lose our mission. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us like me, you know, I, I, did 23 years and I tried to do 30, but I got hurt Mm. and um, I didn't go out on my terms. So, you know, I I lost everything and I didn't know who Richard was because I didn't know, I didn't know where Sergeant Kaufman ended and, you know, uh, Richard began. So what was your transitioning like out of the military? I think mine was different because I was, it was, it was technically peacetime and thank you for that long service. That's, that's, no, that's a career. It was peacetime. At that, at that point, the only conflict that I recall was I was put on individual ready reserve status right when the Persian Gulf War broke out. And the thing I remember was there were, I think, about six of us that were on our IRR status. Two had deployed to the Persian Gulf, and I was in that next four that were supposed to go. But of course, you remember, it was only a week-long war conflict um whatever you would classify it as today and to your point you you signed up and this is just part of the job you know this is part of what you do and when i got out it was um it was it was strange as well because you're used to the discipline you're used to being the drills on time and your at and you have to stay fit and you know you still have pt tests that you have to take it was different. And and the interesting thing is I miss it even now. I really, really miss it. I miss the discipline. You know, I've been the camaraderie. Some of those guys I went to basic with and, and that I trained with over the years, you just never, ever forget those experiences. You know, and I think one thing that people should understand about military folks, we laugh extremely hard at really bad situations. Yeah. Because that's sometimes that's the only way you can cope with it, you know, and you miss that because there's a small group of people who can relate to what you've gone through. And you there's a comfort level there of talking to those people about that, about those. And, you know, I think one thing about, you know, being in the military, I've learned is that when everything else is falling apart around us, we seem to have a way where we get silent, we get quiet and we're comfortable. Yep. Even though the shit's falling everywhere, we're like, all right, we can focus. We know you know, what to do. We focus on the one thing at hand and not worry about everything else. So what were some of the positive things that you've learned from the military going into business? Great question. Probably one of the biggest things is, is determination. It's following that mission until it's done no matter what distractions come your way, it's persistence. Discipline is understated. You have to get up before everybody else. You have to go to bed after everybody else is going to bed. And even the way you carry yourself, 
you know, you walk, you remember this walk like you have a purpose, right? That's something that, that in business you have to move as you have, as if you have a purpose, you know, it's, it's, you have to get up every day. You have to get dressed, make your bed up, which is extremely important. The first goal you accomplish every single day is making your bed up and you have to go about and, and check off these things that you have to do in business every single day. And it's, it's, it's just like your military training and you, and you do it so much that it becomes second nature to you. The, I think some of the best leaders out there in corporate America probably had prior military service. I, you know, it's, it's something that you can't teach that in school. You can, you can teach it by experience in the military, but it's not something you can teach in school. So now how to tell us about, you know, like, you know, because like I said, people that normally listen to this are, you know, 45 year old males, maybe they're just getting out of the military or they got out of the military, but they want to improve their wife, their life. They may want to take their kids on better vacations. They may want to go to Disney. You know, they may want to buy a nicer car for their wife. So they're always they're looking to up level, but they don't know how. So talk to us about how you started when you got out and how you got into corporate America and how you climbed the corporate ladder without losing everything else around you. I got some great advice from my mom. And I remember coming back from school, which I did not finish. I was my last, I was the junior, I believe. And I was antsy. I was ready to, to get in the fight, so to speak, as opposed to continuing to learn about something that I knew about already, which was technology and I just remember when I came back home to Chicago, lived with my parents. At that point, I knew that I knew I had no money. I had a car that was very old with 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 rusted out quarter panels. I just started dating my girlfriend, who's not now my wife. I had to perform, Richard. There was there was no option for me to sit back and wait for some somebody to give me a chance to give me opportunity or to sit back and think about the situation I was in. So I had to perform. And what I did every single day was, I, and this is when phone books were out, but it's, it's opportunities are way greater, greater now. I went through that phone book and looked up every technology company that was listed. And I called them every single day. I called them on that old phone line that still had the cord on it, that you wrap it too tight, you turn around in a circle, you'll get strangled by that, by that phone cord. But I just reached out to every company I could. The best advice I mentioned that my mom gave me was she said, if you can't find someone that'll hire you, volunteer. And I hit a can wall. You, can you say that a little bit louder for the people in the back? <laughs> volunteer. And the interesting thing, Richard, the list of companies that I called asking them about employment, when I went back to the top of that list, starting back at A, and I mentioned that I would volunteer. It changed like that conversation changed and I was able to get a job volunteering for a small technology company, very small, just a family owned business. And here's the interesting thing about the volunteering was you or even having a position where you're starting, you never know what you're going to be exposed to. What happened for me was I volunteered. Again, that military discipline 
get to work early, stay late, learn everything I could. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And they saw that I was a sponge and I wanted to learn. I wanted to perform. And the interesting thing is they were doing business with IBM. I had no clue when I volunteered. So I was exposed to IBM sales reps and systems engineers almost immediately. That's where I wanted to be. That was, you know, in, in military, that's that's the special forces of technology at that time, right? That was the pinnacle of where you wanted to be if you were in technology. I got exposed. Yep, was, those two big companies, it was either IBM or Xerox. Exactly. They had two of the, they had two of the best training training um, classes ever. Yep. And you bled blue. You know, that's what they said at IBM. We all bleed blue. And because of me volunteering with the small firm that didn't have much upward mobility, I was in an environment where I was able to meet these extraordinary people and they saw my work ethic and they said, hey, you want to come work for us? And it took a while, like six months to get to them to, to go through the paperwork and onboarding and all of that HR stuff. But that's how it all started. And from there, Richard, those same people helped me to start my company. They gave me customers. And that's how it started. So I think the lesson with that is, especially for, with the vets, is when you come out, you may not be able to start at the top, but vets have so much inside of them, the determination. They have way more skills than they're probably led to believe because all of those skills that you and I learned are way more valuable than, a, than checking off a task or completing a task in the corporate world. They need leaders in corporate America. They need leaders in small business. And vets, when you can get in, whether it's volunteering or starting uh, at an entry level at a certain company, when you get there, you start performing, you will go up that ladder faster than a person who had formal training because it's your mindset. It's now I was I was talking to a friend of mine and her name is um Tammy Girl and she says I don't I do not pay to go to events like Tony Robbins or um, Ed Milet. She says I will volunteer to help set up chairs. I will volunteer to take out the garbage. I will go volunteer to help them out. And she's never been turned down for an event. Now she's going to, you know, she's on an event with um, Mr. Richard Branson. Oh, wow. But she says, I don't pay for my, I volunteer. And I'm still getting the same, the same information you're getting. But now because I'm helping clean up, I'm able to get more, glean more information and possibly even meet them because I'm helping them. And I'm, you know, and I believe like Zig Ziglar said, you can serve your way to the top. Absolutely. You know, 100%. So, so, so talk about that, you know, because there's a difference between um, having a heart of service or just making a, a sale. Like for me, you know, now you've had, you've been on my show. Um, now I consider you a friend mm -hmm. and you're a brother in Christ. So um, the relationship just starts today. And I believe in generational relationships. Absolutely. So talk to us about building relationships in corporate America. One of the most important things you can do, because the reality is no matter what product or service you're selling in a corporation or in your own business, it, it truly does. It's a cliche, but it comes down to relationships. 
when you can see the need of a customer and understand what their needs are, the interesting thing is they may not buy what you're selling today. But if you listen to them, they will tell you exactly what you need to do to provide something of value to them. And that's why a lot of people wind up at companies like IBM and they branch out on their own because the big companies don't necessarily listen to customers as much as they they should. Those customers are telling that sales rep, hey, this is really what I need over here. And they say, ah, well, we don't offer that. Okay, well, call me when you do. And that relationship is pretty much shot, right? Because if there's nothing to offer, what do you do? So those relationships with them as humans, understanding what they need and also understanding what time constraints they're under, right? What pressure they're under as well. And if you can help them achieve their goals, you'll stay with them forever. Same thing with your colleagues. It's corporate America is very competitive because the corporations make it that way. They want everyone to work harder than everyone else to make money for them. But when you when you realize the person to your left or your right, just like in the military, you all on this you're on the same mission, right? So when you realize that, why not help them out with a sale? Why not ask for help with one of your sales? So those relationships are very valuable. I, I was blessed enough in life that the people who I worked alongside with, they're the ones that propelled me again to be in business. And it was because of those relationships I got my first clients. Because of those relationships, uh, one guy in particular, George Gower back at IBM, he showed me the balance of working at corporate America. And he would go home at four o'clock and cut his grass, right? So that he would be able to do that and see his, so his son can see him taking care of his house. Extremely, extremely important relationships that I've forged over the years. And People can help you get where you're going. And people who see that you want to get further, want to get ahead, and are willing to be open enough to take guidance and advice, oh, Richard, they'll they'll bring the world to you. They'll open up doors you never thought that you would be able to get into. Now, you mentioned something earlier, and I, it's, it's very interesting to me. Um, now, you know, I consult with a lot of companies, a lot of uh, big companies, small companies. And once I hear the words, well, this is the way we've always done it. It's a wrap. So, yeah. and I, I ran a million dollars a year, the GNC and the biggest company that was on, on either side, I had Sears to me on the right and I had Radio Shack on the left and they both went out of business because they were not listening to their customers. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're talking about is very important that sometimes we really don't listen to our customers, kind of like when, you know, Betamax came out with that mm -hmm. stupid, oh, the beta recorder is going to do so great. And boom, out of business. Because they weren't listening to what their customers were saying when they were buying VCRs. You know what I mean? Yep. Entrepreneurship, Richard, is nothing more than you seeing a need and coming up with a solution for that need. That's it. It's it's it, entrepreneurship is just a, it's it's the 
It's just creating something that someone else is not willing or not able to do. And the some of the most successful entrepreneurs out here, whether they're small businesses or they run extremely large businesses like Elon with, with Tesla and SpaceX, they just feel a need. Take, take Elon Musk for one second. How many of these aeronautical companies have been making rocket ships to 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 send into space since i was a kid right i mean we used to watch them when i was a kid at school i mean we would hear about them and all of those years billions and billions of dollars the government spent with those same companies and here this guy is a young guy never formally trained in any of that stuff actually made a rocket with the boosters that can return back and land literally on a ship in the middle of the ocean. This is just a kid who had a vision, right? So you say to yourself, those companies were, they were just moving the needle just a little bit every five years, every 10 years. And he saw a need. He said, why do we keep letting these, these rocket boosters fall in the ocean and now they're not usable and the government spent a bunch of money on them. It's a waste. He took that one little thing and said, what if we can reuse those and, and look at them now, right? So just looking at a need, and, and here's the other important thing, is, is not acting like you know everything. When you're sitting down in front of a customer or you sit down in front of an employer, just ask them the question, what is it that you need to be successful? If you hire me, how can I help you be more successful? And you will be amazed at how people open up. You'll be absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, because now, especially having my own platform, um, you know, if I went and said, you know, like, say, if I, I just cold emailed you and say, hey, Tony, I got the number eight veteran podcast in the world. Why don't you come on? You'd probably look at me and be like, who's this? Who's this jag wagon? But if I came, if I came to you and say on LinkedIn, I said, Hey Tony, I, I see you got a brand new book out. Um, I love you. I love your content. I love love what you're doing. I would love for you to come on so we can get the word out about your book. You'd be more than willing, for sure, to come on because you're somebody's willing to help you. And I think that's a big thing. I think that's changing. That's, you know, like we we're all you know my generation or our generation. You know, we're always talking about the younger generation. But I think the younger generation, they're more about helping each other. They're more about caring about each other. They're more about, you know, getting involved in missions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But now, you know, we're going to talk about business and then we're going to talk about how to pivot. Because, um, you know, I, I was with GNC for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And now I can order a pre-workout from Amazon tomorrow, tonight. And by first thing tomorrow morning, it's to be on my doorstep. Yeah. And um, GNC kind of dropped dropped the ball on that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people complain about you know Amazon, but they don't have any products on Amazon. So they complain about the problem, but they're not in part of the solution or involved in the issue. So talk to us a little bit about people that complain about something but don't do anything about something. Yeah, you know, it's a couple of things that 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 come to mind when you mention that. First is, and this is, I think, from a spiritual standpoint, that 
if you can't be happy with someone else's success, then how do you ever think you're going to be successful? Right. So Amazon, the reality is, like it or not, I've had my love-hate relationship with Amazon. But here's the reality. They took a need and they listened to people over the years. And even today, they refine their products and services every single day. Every day, there is an improvement, an improvement, an improvement. And you can't be mad at that. They, they, they saw a need. They filled a void. You know, what can you do? That, that's one thing. The second thing is you're absolutely right. Especially on the Internet now, everyone wants to sit back and complain about somebody else. They get a lot of views. They get a lot of followers just talking about someone else. And the thing that I think, well, why don't you create your own content instead of just critiquing someone else's content? And so here, Richard, today, there is a there is a need, I think, especially with the vets listening, there is a need for people to go out and do something of value that other people can benefit from. It's not good enough just to complain about, you know, this other person and this other company. Again, look at that. And if there is an issue with a company that's delivering a product or a service, figure out how you can do it better. You know, and I love that, you know, like, like this company that I'm talking about, OVF, they talk about, you know, you know, if, if you have, if you write a book and say, if it's a, um, an, an ebook, say, say for instance, and you put it out on Amazon or even a regular book, you're making money while you're sleeping. You know, like I woke up this morning and I had a check in my account from Amazon for my books. But, you know, a lot of people don't don't realize that there's so many things with this little thing, little box that we're talking in right now. Yeah. How you can disguise the limit. I mean, you know, we're talking people make billions of dollars. On, you know, social media or, you know, products like or like your book, public speaking, because now you don't even have to go somewhere to public speak. You can get and be part of a virtual summit. Exactly. So, you know. So talk to us about, you know, because like you said before, you told me, you know, you, you hit so, had millions of dollars go through your company and then having to close it down and to reinvent yourself again. Talk to us about that moment and how you had to pivot. Yeah. So I had, I had to close my company down. I was in business with that particular company for 29 years and we dealt with with the government right as a tier two provider which means that the government wasn't our direct client we did business with a company and the government was their client so we were tier two and there was an issue with them with the elections and everything else and when new administrations come in this is at a city and state level when new administrations come in first thing they do is they review all contracts and they want to know, make sure that those contracts were done correctly and legally and everything else. And that process can take a few weeks. It can take a few months. Unfortunately for us, it took several months for them to go through and review all, not just the contracts we want, but every contract, architecture, everything, legal services. And during that time, without having any orders, new revenue coming in, 
and bills just stacking up there was nothing else we were out of it was out of our control it was nothing that we could do to affect change so i unfortunately had to make the decision to close the company very painful process here it is still two years later and it's fresh like it was two days ago but here's the interesting thing richard god has a way of knowing what you need and god has a way of putting you in situ or allowing situations to happen that's going to benefit you, even if you don't understand them at the time. For me, 29 years of business, able to travel around the world, buy anything that, you know, our family could ever imagine or want. And then having just all of that stop all of a sudden. But the interesting thing is, Richard, here's the interesting thing. When you when you lie down at night and it's 3 a.m. and I know you've been there and, and a lot of the vets have a lot of your listeners and viewers have when you when you're lying at three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep. And you're trying to figure out a solution for a problem that you can't solve. The lack of control you have, the, the terror that that presents it's, 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 it's terrorizing, to be quite honest with you. But the interesting thing is, is, and you pray this, please help me with this. The solution that's, that's provided to you may not be a fix to that problem. The solution may be just helping you get through on the other side of that so that something better can come along. That's what happened in my case where my first prayers, Richard, you know, when we start seeing orders not come in, it was every day. My wife would tell you, I was praying, please let some orders come in today. As soon as I got in the office in the morning, looking for orders, they just weren't there. After a while, my prayer went from, please give us some orders to my prayer went, went to, I'm not sure God, why this is happening, but I know that there is a reason why and i know that it'll be better on the opposite side and in that moment of wisdom that i had because i always pray for wisdom in that moment of wisdom i was able to have peace and what i realized was now looking back and even a year ago looking back on two years was god allowed that to happen to free me up to do the things that i've always prayed i wanted to do because when you start a business the reality is richard you go from excitement those first couple of years whether you're you know killing it in sales or not you go from excitement because every single single thing you do is new everything you're doing is new then it gets to a certain point then everything you're doing is routine and then it goes to everything you're doing is a drag after a number of years you're just a robot every day just continuing to do these same processes yeah, and like, you know, like I said, I was with GNC for 30 years and the only peaceful time I had was the because we closed at 10 a.m. I mean, 10 p.m. And then I knew that the only peace I'm going to have is from 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. on New Year's Eve, because that's when I knew, OK, I'm starting fresh, yep. you know. I, the, the new year's gone, but now the new year starts again tomorrow morning. So yeah. I only had that little bit of peace, that two hours 
to think, all right, all right you know. But then, you know, I, I got to beat last year's numbers. Yep. So you're starting, you know, that next day, you're starting from zero, but you're starting in a, th- in a million dollar debt. You know, you know what I'm trying to say mentally because you want to beat the last year. So it's yep. kind of like you never you never get you never come down. You're always you're always up and you're always on that, you know, that that uh, flight or flight, you know, and, and you're and it, go, it takes a toll on your marriage because it's like having a second wife. A business is having a second partner. And yeah. sometimes, unfortunately, the business takes that time away. So how do you know now that you go from being, you know, in corporate America to now, you know, spending more time with your family? I'm sure that was a big readjustment. I, I, I just try to look at everything in a positive light. So I closed the business December 2019. COVID hits March of 2020. I'm here. I'm dealing with attorneys. Closing a business is way more difficult than starting a business. It it can take years because your business is technically still open up to five years, depending on the state, up to five years after you close it, after you dissolve it legally with the state. It's technically open. So I was dealing with a lot of lawyers and everything else. Had the least amount of money I had in 30 years. COVID hit. I saw some extreme blessings out of this entire situation, Richard. COVID hit. My son is at home. He was a senior in high school, going into his senior year. And he was a junior then, but going into his senior year. Now he was at home every single day. And that gave me, like you're talking about, that family time where now my son, his last year of high school, is going to be going away to college. We get to spend every single day together. What a blessing. Right. That happened only because of COVID. As bad as the pandemic is and was, that was a blessing. Having a company close was a blessing. It was pain, extremely painful. Every now and then I still have a flashback, extremely painful, but it was a blessing. Why? Because now I'm able to right now in the middle of the day, have a conversation with you and hopefully prayerfully maybe some vets can get some benefit from the conversation that you are are having, just sharing our experiences. I would not have had the time two years ago to do anything else except run a business for 24 hours a day. And even when you're present, you're not necessarily present because to your point, you know, when you have a line of credit with a bank, the bank owns your company technically because you have to report to them all the time. Your employees a 24-hour day job so coming from all of that now having the peace of not having to deal with that i'm excited about the second part of my life just like a vet coming home from active duty there's a routine it took me a while richard literally i I sat outside for days and the routine was different i didn't have to go and deal with email and everything else and employees and vendors and contracts. And it was strange because I felt like I wasn't doing anything. I felt like I was just sitting there, just not doing anything, but that's what I had to do, right? You know, the saying peace and and be still and, and know who I am. And I had to do that. And that was very difficult for me to do because we're go-getters. We're constant, we follow routines. But in that moment, when you come home, you make that transition, especially as a vet, the biggest thing to do was to not rush into something else 
just to occupy your time. It's going to sound counterproductive, but you need to digest and process all of those years that you were doing this thing. And now you need to say, what is it that I really want to do? Not what's going to pay the bills tomorrow. What is it that I really, really want to do? And Richard, it took me months. I mean, months to get to the point where I had clarity to say, I'll never, ever have a business that that involved corporate America anymore to that level. Never. I never want to have I had 22 employees. I never want to have that many employees ever again. And if that means I wouldn't hit a certain revenue mark in the future, I'm OK with that because of the peace that I have today. So it's it's when you make that transition, it's literally taking your time. Which requires a support system. My wife was patient. My son was patient having time to sit back and understand everything that you just went through and knowing that you're going to be okay, but you really need to take time and decide what's going to fill up your heart. That's so important. If you jump into something, you're never going to be at peace. That makes sense. Yep. So how do we find you? How do we get your book? How do we get in touch with you if we just want to chat? Or if we may maybe you want to hire you for some consultation. Absolutely. So everything is focused on my website, which is tonyrkitchens.com. So tonyrkitchens.com. And there are links to social media and phone numbers on there as well. I just, you know, the thing is, and you and I talked about this before, is none of the vets should think that it's lonely. None of your viewers and listeners should believe that they are in a situation that's so unique to them that no one else can relate no one could understand i you know as you mentioned had a very successful business all the toys you can imagine and it was extremely lonely the reason why i was so lonely richard was because nobody in everyday life could understand the responsibilities that comes along with that and I found myself just gravitating toward people like you who are CEOs and entrepreneurs because I can crown your shoulder, you can crown my shoulder, and we get it. We understand. Everybody else looks at it from a super, well, you have this and you have that. You should be happy. I was happy, but it's just lonely. It's extremely lonely. So your listeners to understand, you know, reach out to me. I'm very accessible as you are. And if I can share a word of encouragement with people, it's no problem. They don't have to buy the book. I think that the book will give them some extreme value around loss and how to get past some of those things that I've done in my life. But even just to say, hey, you know, I'm looking to start a business. Can you talk five minutes? Sure. No, especially for the vets. Anytime. Right, so last question I have. Um, you, you're a man of faith and I'm a man of faith. Um, and they say that if you're not close to God, you're the one that moved. He's always there for you. Um, so if there's somebody out there right now, just the last minute or two, and they're struggling with their faith and they want to find peace again, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to you know, try to get that relationship back? First thing that I tell people to do is turn off the TV, get off the Internet, turn off the phone go to a place that you're that you typically don't sit down and 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 hang out 
if it's out of the house, go find a place where you can sit in silence without distractions and just listen to your heart. And what you'll find is, is if you sit there long enough, you'll hear your inner voice and you'll hear, you'll, you'll hear peace. And it sounds strange, but you will literally encounter a certain amount of peace. When you're listening to TV and everything else, there's so much information coming into you, telling you what you should think and what you should feel. The thing about God and, and spirituality is, is you can't hear what your spirit wants if you're inundated with a bunch of external messages. And the thing I would say about God and spirituality is all of the things I've gone through in my life, there's a common thread. That common thread is me knowing that God would not put something on me that I could not handle. And but when you're going through it, it feels so heavy. And it feels like you won't be able to smile again after the death of a loved one. Whatever the situation is, you have no money. You got a lot of bills. How can you possibly think about dreaming and thinking about the future? You just want to get those bills paid. And I'll tell you that God is the consistent thing throughout my whole life. It's not the people. It's not the things that you have. It's not the circumstances, good or bad. It's when I can pray and know that it's going to give me peace. That's what God has done for me. It's a consistent line of peace throughout good and throughout bad. And it never goes away. You'll have to continue to pray and listen and be obedient. But it it, it never fails. It absolutely never fails. I love it, guys. So definitely check out TonyRKitchens.com. Check out the website. Um, check out his book, Tony Amazing. Um, life-changing, game-changing. Guys, I'd like to thank OVF. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Without you, I couldn't keep the lights on. And thank you for helping more veterans. Guys, like I said, if you get a chance, pick up the coffee. If you love coffee, you know, um, support veterans, help the veterans that are struggling with homelessness and other mental health issues. Tony, I just want to say thank you, brother. I'm so grateful for you, and um, I can't wait to see what you else what else you have coming up. Thank you, Richard. It's an honor, and like I mentioned before, even started. I just hope and pray that your listeners, your viewers, that they benefit from our conversation. And so, thank you for I'm allowing sure. us to to, set, to service our our fellow members. I really appreciate it. I'm sure they will. And guys, remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.